good to be with you today and appreciate this opportunity to address this uh, very delicate uh, and sensitive subject. Uh, I feel like uh, not by choice, uh, but that I feel like I have expertise in this area. Uh, we have uh, registered sex offender in our congregation. I have helped other congregations who have addressed this very issue and have tried to help them to work through this process. So we're going to talk about um, what do we do in prison ministry uh, when we have someone who is a registered sex offender who wants to come to our congregation. I want to address this first of all by saying that I encourage you to be proactive rather than reactive. And so if you are involved in prison ministry, you need to develop a plan for what you're going to do as a congregation for a sex offender before the first one shows up. Because the last thing you want to do is go to your elders and have a meeting and say, I've got a guy that I have baptized in jail. He's a sex offender and he wants to attend our congregation. If you want to see some elders squirm, go into a meeting and say that. And so <laughs> it is a much easier process to deal with this problem on the front end so that you are ready uh, when that time arises. This is an issue that can be managed. Uh, there is a process that it can be dealt with, uh, but uh, it is one that we need to think through and consider that. And so risk versus rewards. I do not want you to think about this as just simply being a problem, but I want you to see this as a growth opportunity for your church. And uh, it is one that God can work through and that God can bless us with the right attitude. March the 6th, 2015, a sheriff in North Carolina sent out a letter to all sex offenders in his county and said, all sex offenders are banned from going to any church. I've got a copy of this letter. I'll pass it out to you. It's in the USA Today. And he sent that out to everyone in his county that was on the sex offender registry. Only one problem. It's not constitutional. Uh, <laughs> and so there was a lot of pushback. And uh, a lot of different churches got pretty upset. Uh, although one particular pastor said he supported the sheriff because folks ought to get themselves together before they come to church. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how that happens. <laughs> uh, no, I will pass that at the end. Uh, so, makes you wonder about some folks thinking about some things. Uh, but this is an issue that uh, is sensitive and that we need to deal with. I have two recent phone calls that I want to talk to you about. Uh, one was uh, this particular issue is in a rural county in Tennessee of where a man who was on the sex offender registry, uh, he was now married and had a family, and he went to a congregation and he wanted to place membership there, and he was told by the elders of the church that he and his family were not welcome. Uh, and they were told and advised to go and find another church. <laughs> that would be more welcome. Come on in, there are seats around here, there are seats over the front, we may fill up all the seats. Uh, we can move those uh, notes if we need to. Uh, there's a seat up here uh, as well. Christ. Yes, Church Christ. Yes, it was. And so they were trying to struggle with this issue. We've got a guy. He's a Christian. He's married. Got a family. He's on the registry. Wants to come to church. The church said, no, he cannot. I had another case that happened just recently. Um, and this happened uh, less than a year ago of where there were two people in a congregation that were involved. Uh, this is in Gallatin, one of the Churches of Christ there. There were two folks that were involved in jail ministry in the Sumner County Jail. And so 
the congregation had not really bought into prison ministry per se. It was just two folks from the church going to the jail. And so they went into the jail, Sumner County Jail, and uh, baptized a lot of people. And so there was a guy that uh, was baptized, and he told one of the volunteers, he said, I'm getting out, and I want to go to church with you. And he said, great, great. And he knew he was on the registry. And so he went to the elders at the congregation and said, you know, I've uh, baptized Joe, and uh, he is now, he has a wife, and uh, he's getting out of jail, and he wants to come to church here. And the elders got, and I'm not knocking elders, I'm currently an elder myself in my congregation. I know these are difficult issues. Uh, but the elders did not know what to do. And so he thought the elders would be all excited about this. <laughs> well, they said, we don't know if he could come here or not. And so I got a phone call. And so they asked me to come and to meet with them. And so I met with the entire eldership. I met with the minister. I uh, met with the jail prison ministry volunteer workers. And we helped to develop a plan to deal with this particular issue. And we talked through it and worked through it and came to a solution that I can report today has been a tremendous success because the guy's wife was just recently baptized about two weeks ago. And the church has embraced this family and has now welcomed them when many of them were initially highly resistant uh, to this process. And so it is an issue that we must address. Now, I can honestly say, if you are coming out of prison, it is easier having a murder conviction than it is to be on the registry. It really is. Because if you've got a murder conviction, most folks don't know that you're on the list. And we've got a lot of folks in our congregations that are ex-felons that we don't know about. But if they're on the registry, all of, anybody can find that information out. And they will tell you exactly what house they're living in. And they will tell you what they look like. They'll have their pictures. They'll have their tattoos. They'll tell you their charges, when they were charged, everything about them. And so that cannot be kept secret. I had someone here at Highland said, we got ex-offenders that go to church over here, but nobody knows about it. Uh, that's the way it is in a lot of congregations but it's different with a sex offender, and we also have to deal with this a little bit differently also. This is not an exhaustive list. Uh, if you wanna go and look at Tennessee Law Code, uh, it will list for you all of the various offenses uh, that can result in you being on the registry. Um, the registry was developed uh, out of, uh, basically were several cases, one in California, other places of where uh, you know, there was someone that had been a sex offender, got out, reoffended, uh, molested a little girl, you know, when she was killed. And so there were some tragic things that happened. And as a result of that, we have developed this registry. And we have ended up putting more and more people uh, on the registry for all sorts of offenses. Uh, and what we don't realize is that most of the time, the people who commit sexual offenses are by somebody that they know, not by some stranger uh, creeping down the street. Uh, usually it's a fam family member or some family friend or a boyfriend or somebody like that. But sexual battery, statutory rape. Uh, in Tennessee, if you are, if you have a female that is 17 and a male that is more than four years older than her, and if they have sexual relations, and let's say, you know, she got pregnant, her parents find out about it, they're all ticked off, press charges, it could be convicted of statutory rape. 
or it can be a female. She can be 23, dating somebody that's 17. Happens in our school systems all the time. We hear about the news. And that person is a sex offender, and they go on the registry. We had a case in the news of where um, this uh, male and female, they were dating. Uh, he was more than four years older than her. They had sexual relations. They had a child. He got convicted. They ended up getting married, had a family together, stable, happy. He's still on the registry. He couldn't volunteer on his little league son's team as a coach because he's on the registry because of this. We need to understand that people on the registry are not all the same. We think all of them are just pedophiles running around raping and molesting little children. Now, that's not to say that there are not people like that on the registry, but there are also people on the registry that are not at that level and are not at that level of risk. The one in Gallatin, what he was on the registry for was incest. And so it was like his half-sister that he had had relations with. That put him on the registry. He's now married, got a stable family, but guess what? He's still on the registry, just like the guy that molested little children on the same list. Uh, well, many times it is. It, you, can be, you can be on the registry for a lifetime. There are some cases you can get off of it, uh, but for many folks, it is a lifetime on the registry. In Indiana, uh, they have basically two lists. I don't, yeah, know, it, I don't it, know about the qualifications. Yes, it can. Uh, some cases you can get off, some cases you can't. Uh, rape, obviously. Spousal rape. Uh, there are some circumstances with that, with you um, raping your spouse. Uh, that can cause you to be on the registry. Uh, people have asked me today, is prostitution a sex offense? Well, that depends. If a woman has HIV and she knows it, and then she engages in prostitution, that will place her on the sex offender registry. Okay? That is considered aggravated prostitution. And so uh, that places her now just, uh, just out prostituting on, you know, that wouldn't necessarily put her on there, but aggravated prostitution, HIV positive, would place you on that list. Okay? And we have, uh, say, women in the local jail, many of them that are in prostitution are HIV positive. And then when they get out, that's all they know is prostitution. They go back to it, but they're on that registry, and they're on that list. Yes, it will be, yes. Yes. Uh, also, if you're involved in indecent exposure, you know, this is the guy in the park or whatever, flashes somebody, uh, drop your pants and moon somebody, can put you on the registry. One of them college stupid, one of those stupid college pranks can put you on the prank. Yeah, so one of those stupid, yes, one of those stupid college pranks can get you on the registry. And so you need to be very careful. And if you're not talking to your kids, you ought to be talking to your kids about this. Because the last thing that you want to have is your child on that registry when they turn 18. Because they're going to be marked for life. And it will mess them up. And it will be just like a forehead on their mark where everybody's going to see that. And so we don't want them on that list. Uh, solicitation of a minor, uh, you can go in and, you know, they, with our young people, they can be very, very careful. You go in there and think you're talking to somebody on the internet, and it's often you're the police you're talking to. <laughs> and they'll tell you to meet them somewhere, and they'll put the handcuffs on you, and they put you on the registry. It's true. This happens all the time, sting operations. 
And uh, so you got to be very, very careful. Uh, and we need to be having conversations in our churches with our young people about these issues. Not talking about it doesn't solve the problem, folks. Uh, it doesn't. So we have got to address these matters, uh, and we ought to in our churches. Uh, observation, the peeping toms, looking in somebody's window, that'll put you on the registry, and all of those things like that. Child pornography uh, will place you on the registry. Uh, and there's many others. Incest will put you on the registry. Uh, all of these things will result in sexual offenses. Now, what are the restrictions of sex offenders? And uh, what happens with those that are sex offenders? What can they do and what can they not do? And let me just say at the outset, life is very difficult if you're on the registry. It really is. Um, and the guy that we have at our congregation that's on the registry, uh, he's had to go through a whole lot. And uh, I'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, you must register. That means they have to know where you live. If you move, you have to tell them within 48 hours where you have moved. And so they must know where you live at all times. If you want to move to out of state, you've got to get permission to do that. Um, you are on this register. Uh, you're on this list. You must report to your parole or supervising officer. Some of them flat and they're still under restriction. They still got to meet on a regular basis uh, and give reports uh, on where they're at and what they are doing. Uh, they must notify of address changes. Uh, sometimes they will have internet restriction. And uh, often I've seen where they come out for a year, they are not allowed to get on the internet. Uh, especially if they've had a child pornography conviction or something like that, uh, they will have restrictions uh, on that as well. Uh, polygraph testing, uh, they do that also uh, for those that are on the registry. Uh, psychosexual evaluations and treatment, that's uh, something that's critical. They often have to do that, take classes. They've got to pay the fees for those classes uh, and do that also. Now, let me talk about electronic monitoring devices. Many of them are on GPS monitoring. They will put a bracelet on your ankle. It does not come off. They can, through satellite, they know where you're at from a computer screen at all times. You have a cell phone that you carry. If you go to places that should not, you should not be, that thing starts vibrating and sounding off. And you're going to get a call from your parole officer or your supervising officer saying, why are you at this such and such place? The guy that's at our congregation that uh, is on the registry and that has an ankle monitor, he went with Grant Carey, who's on my staff. They went to the Hendersonville Church of Christ on a Saturday to make copies of New Life Behavior curriculum on Saturday. He was accompanied by his mentor, Grant. It was on a Saturday when the daycare at the church was closed. There were no kids in the building, but guess what? That thing went off. His cell phone was called. You're at a daycare facility. He said, I'm with my mentor. It's a Saturday. The daycare is closed. I don't care. Get out of there right now. Right now. They meant it. They meant it. That's what his life is like. He had a job. He had a full-time job. And the job was within a thousand feet of Centennial Park. He was made to quit that job. Immediately. 
He ended up homeless, the guy at our church. He is allowed to come to our church on Sunday because we gave him permission. So we were trying to figure out what to do. You know, we wanted to get him off the streets, and we were going to set a cot up in the church at night for a while. But they wouldn't let him do it because we're within 1,000 feet of a school. And so he couldn't even sleep in our building. He could only come on Sunday under restriction. Um, he, this guy right here at our congregation that has this monitoring device, he was on his job, and what has to happen, you know, at night you got to charge it up. So you've got to get your foot by the cord, you know, you got to plug that sucker up which, and let that thing charge up for a couple hours. So his battery started running down at work. So they called and said, you know, your GPS monitoring is going off. You need to get this thing plugged in. Well, he was at work. So he said to his officer, he said, as soon as I finish the end of the day, I'm going home to plug it in. When he got home, the police were there and arrested him. And he spent two nights in jail. Now, they finally dismissed all of that. They didn't charge with anything else because they were trying to make a point. When we tell you to leave your job, you better leave. Of course, it could have cost him his job, you know, having to walk off because his monitoring device was going off. Uh, but that is the real world. This is not, I mean, this is what life is like, even for those who are trying to do the right thing. They're under complete control. And so many of them have to wear this. They can never take it off. They must identify themselves as a sex offender to church authorities. Now, this is where this is huge. When you start thinking about the risk level in your congregation, and that's part of what we're looking at, what is the risk level? When you have people that are attending your congregation and they are not open with the leadership that they're on the registry and you find out they're on it, they're at a high risk level. But when they come to you at the front end and say, hey, I'm on the registry, I want to attend here, I need help with my spiritual life, that's something different. This happened at our congregation. This, is, this happened. We had a guy attending our congregation that I had no idea he was on the registry. Didn't tell anybody he's on the registry. I got a phone call that this guy that was coming to our church, he wasn't a member, but he came every week, that he was in the jail on child pornography charges. So I looked him up, and he was on the registry. He was coming to our church, and he was on the registry. He didn't tell us. And then I had found out that he had befriended one of our teenage boys and had invited the teenage boy over to his house to look at his computer. Thankfully, the boy didn't do it, but I come to find that out as well. So I went and I looked up every single member of our congregation on the registry. I did. And there were two other people that were visiting our church that were on that list. And they never told us. So you may go back and look everybody up on your registry when you get back home. Uh, it's real. And so what they're supposed to do, they can come to church if they're approved, but they are required to go to the leadership and say, I'm on the registry. I want to attend your congregation. That's the right way 
to do this. Yes. Um, is there a certain protocol? I mean, these individuals, do they all have to, they're supposed to know that they're supposed to go to school? Do they have a class for sex offenders? Yeah. Them? They know all this. They're, there's a big long list they give them of all the do's and all the don'ts that they can and cannot do and all the restrictions. So they have to, right. You were like, he had, because I didn't think because of privacy, certain instances that he'd have to divulge that information. Yes, there, there is no privacy recoming, regarding a sex offense. There's no. Look, I work at the jail. They have more rights than we do. <laughs> yes. It does vary. Now, there are differences by state. You need to check your own state registry. Every state has its own registry. So you will look up Alabama registry. You'll look up Tennessee registry. And also, the things that will place you on the registry can vary from state to state as well. So you need to know specifically what your state restrictions are. These are general in most states, but there will be some slight differences if you're in a different state. But all this information is on the Internet. You can find all this out. You can find out who's on the registry, where they live, and all of that. Yes? Does, do all the members of the congregation know I'm going to address that. That's a good question. More restrictions very quickly. Uh, they cannot, in Tennessee, they can't use the library. Uh, they cannot live within 1,000 feet of a school or daycare in Tennessee. In some states, it's 3,000 feet. Uh, I think it's... Uh, New Jersey. You cannot be outside in Tennessee on Halloween. Uh, that's in Tennessee. Uh, cannot be near parks, thousand feet of a school, cannot serve in the medical profession. Uh, there are many jobs that you cannot do if you're on the registry that are just forbidden across the board. Some states, uh, you can't sell hearing devices if you're on the registry. That's kind of a strange one. So you got to look from your state because it's going to vary by state, but every state there's jobs they can't do. Okay. And so what's happened is, is that when you start talking about housing issues, for example, and you start looking at, you know, where ex offenders going to live, there's limited options. If you're on a sex offender registry, there's virtually no option. There really is, you know, they just, it's just too high a risk level. And so there's just nowhere to go. They get pushed out on the streets many times and they end up homeless and, and things as well. Um, and so I think about uh, Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, are the sex offenders our modern-day lepers? Uh, and so the leper had to go out and say, unclean, unclean. <laughs> and everybody did what? Woo! <laughs> they got away. And uh, that's uh, where we are with the sex offender registry and with those. I want to talk about just a few principles here. Um, I'm talking about the principle of forgiveness. And forgiveness is not being naive. Uh, forgiveness is not holding people accountable. Uh, but there is some concepts of forgiveness we ought to talk about. Uh, all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned. We know that. Uh, those on the registry have sinned too. Uh, we do treat them differently, uh, and there's some justification for some of that. God shows no partiality. Um, need to understand that as well. The grace of God has brought salvation to all people. We, hopefully we believe that a sex offender can be forgiven too. I hope we believe that, that they can obtain forgiveness as well for their crimes, for their sins. Now, they have placed them under certain community restrictions, no doubt. But as a church, we would hopefully want to practice forgiveness. Uh, but I want to read this. This is from, the, from 1 Corinthians 6. 
Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers will inherit the kingdom of God. The sexually immoral, the sex offenders. The sex offenders at Corinth. And what does he say? And such were some of you. Such were some of you. And so there was sex offenders at Corinth, by today's standards, right? But what happened? They repented, they changed their life, and they were washed and they were sanctified. Now, there's also the principle of watchfulness. As a church, we have to be forgiving, but we also have to be watchful. We have to accomplish two things, and you've got to keep these two in perspective. We have to minister to the offender and protect the flock at the same time. Okay? So you've got to keep the two together. Okay? And they're not mutually exclusive, per se. You've got to minister to that person, but you also got to protect the flock. And a failure to do either one is a failure to do all that God has called us to do. And so we've got to do both and keep them in mind when we are dealing with the sex offender. And so beware of false prophets. And we could talk about this with sex offenders. Uh, when we have people that come to our congregation that are sex offenders and they're on the registry, are some sincere and truly changing their life? Yes. Are there some that are not sincere? Yes. Are there some that we, well, they're not sex offenders, but they just come out of prison that are sincere? Sure. Are there some that are playing a game? Yeah. Do you always know it the first day you meet them? Kind of takes a while to figure it out, don't you? Are they manipulating? Or are they really serious? Are they really changing their life uh, or not? And so we have to be aware and we have to look at the fruit uh, of what they have done. Now, sex offenders in the church, uh, have they been identified? Do we know who they are? The leadership of the church must know who these folks are. Have to. If they don't, they're not doing their job. You've got to know who they are. They have to be identified uh, in the congregation. Are they welcome? Now, I went back to my first point that I began with. Are they welcome? It's hard for me to think of a scenario where my position is automatically, no, they're not welcome. I think it can be managed. I think the risk can be managed. But I think if we just say they're not welcome, what message does that send? How is a person going to do right if they are turned away? If a community of faith will not help them and not walk along with them, how can they possibly do right? Uh, so they have to be welcome. You also have to ask the issue of what is their risk level. Okay. Now, one of the things about the registry is that it will tell you what they're in there for. Uh, incest, statutory rape, molesting little children, all that is going to be on your registry. So, if I were trying to rank risk levels and say, okay, here's a statutory rape case of where the woman was 23 and the guy was 17, is she at the same risk level as the guy who molested little children? She would be at a lower risk level, at least in my view, than he would. So you need to address that. In fact, the Internet will tell you, for example, are they a violent offender or not? Are they considered to be violent? They evaluate them on risk, and that will be shown on the Internet as well on that registry. Uh, what is their risk level? The guy at our congregation is considered a high risk. 
uh, I think he's, um, I mean, I, I've just really grown to appreciate him and uh, he leads singing for us sometimes and he teaches my adult class for me when I'm away, my adult class, not my children's <laughs> class, <laughs> not the children's class, teaches the adult class when I'm away. Um, but uh, what's that risk level? Uh, now, what I do is their parole officer or their supervising officer, you need to make a phone call. So what I did was when the guy came, and he was actually in Whiteville, and I met him at Whiteville, and he said, when I get out, he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to go to Memphis. And I said, well, if it don't work out in Memphis, come to Nashville. So he, got, he cuts out. He comes to Memphis. Um, things didn't work out for him. And he just shows up in Nashville and says, hey, Thomas, here I am. <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> and uh, so I made a phone call. And I said, I'm calling about so-and-so. I'm the minister of the church. I was the minister at that time. And uh, I want to find out what are the restrictions. And this is what he told me. He said, and it may vary, but he said, he can come to worship. And he can be in the auditorium. Even though there are children there, those children are not at risk because it's what? In the auditorium. But he can't be in the children's classrooms. He can't be uh, going on youth trips. He can't be alone. He has to be escorted by a mentor to the bathrooms. Okay? And so all of those things were told. So we knew up front as a church what we needed to do. And so he can come to worship. He can come to a Bible class as long as it's only adults, right? He can't go to any youth activities. He can't go to any youth events. In fact, I've got a contract I'm going to give you. He cannot go to any of the children's wings of the Bible classes. And that's we told him that up front. He had to sign a contract. He cannot be there, okay? So it's part of managing the risk level. Uh, so you need to contact that parole officer. And so they will let him come to church on Sunday, but he can't come on the daytime because there's a school that's in session during the week, okay? And so there's restrictions here. Uh, and so what are the restrictions? What can they do? What can they not do? Uh, now, let's talk about confidentiality and disclosure. This is a big issue. Let's suppose, yes. Uh, yes, uh, that's a good question. The uh, contract that we have, and I'm going to give a copy of you, uh, to you today. I've got 75 of those copies of the contract uh, that we have developed. We met with him. We went over the contract. The leadership had to sign it. He had to sign it. And the policy is zero tolerance. And if you violate the contract, you will not be allowed to attend church services here anymore. Now, that may sound harsh, but you have to have zero tolerance because if you say you can't be in the children's wing of the classrooms and you're out there and he's out there wandering around the next week, he's not following the guidelines that you set. And if he or she is sincere, guess what they're going to do? They're going to follow the guidelines. But so you have to have zero tolerance about that. Now, they don't necessarily go back to, they don't go back to prison, but as a church, you would have to say, this is the expectation. 
This is the circumstances that you can attend here, but if you don't follow that, these are the repercussions. Okay? And the repercussions are you will not be able to attend here any longer. And we have had, we've had two sex offenders, and one of them we had to turn and tell him he could not come back to church there anymore. He didn't. Did you contact his parole officer? Yes. Um, also, if, if, one of, if the children who he has um, yeah. offended. Or at that church, you can't, right. Are, and I was in that situation with one of my children um, years ago when they were small. very traumatic thing for her because she was at worship with this man who was an offender and nobody knew yeah. except this man's daughter. Yeah. Uh, most cases the answer to that would be if you, the answer that, that I would have would be if he was coming to our congregation or wanted to come there and the victim went to church there, he would not be allowed to attend church there. I would then refer him to another congregation because you do not want to re-traumatize the victim so you would not have them attending the church where they victimize somebody because they're going to then relive those experiences when they see that person. And so then in that case, you would send them somewhere else and you want to make a phone call to another church, not just say go somewhere else. You'd want to make a phone call to a leadership somewhere else and say, this is why they can't come here, but I want this person to get spiritual help because he still needs spiritual help. But in that case, you would want to have them go somewhere else. You would not want them to go where the victims are. Okay, now let's talk about confidentiality and disclosure. Okay, what do you reveal to the church and, uh, and how much do you reveal to the church? This is what you don't do. Sunday morning. All right, we want our sex offender Joe, our new member, to stand up, and we're all going to see him over there, and let's all look at him. We're not going to do that, okay? We're not going to do that. You're going to tell those who need to know. That means the leadership, includes the minister, that includes his mentor, and he's got to have a mentor, or she has to have a mentor, key people in that congregation. It might be deacons. It, whoever those key leaders are, they need to know. Because somebody has to be watching. And if nobody knows, then who's going to watch? And so you've got to tell key people. Now, and Thomas, that's what you're really talking about is protecting the flock. Yes, that's the protecting the flock. Now, what we have to do, for example, let's say you have a, a life group on Sunday night. And this person wants to go to a life group, then you would have to tell the leader, now it would have to be a life group probably with adults only, but you'd have to tell the leader of that life group, do you want this person in your home or not? And they'd have to make that decision whether to do that or not. You need to let them know. Now, at the end of the day, the church is going to find out. Because once you start, but you still, you don't want to do public embarrassment. Uh, you don't want to shame the guy. He's already ashamed. You know, so you've got to tell those who need to know, but you don't get out and just tell the whole flock uh, because that creates <coughs> unnecessary fear in the church and it causes you a lot of unnecessary problems, okay? And if you're in the leadership, you don't want to deal, a bunch, you don't want to deal with a bunch of people that are all coming to you and all mad at you wanting to know why Joe's coming to church there. Now, 
when you have the contract and you've done your homework, you can say to the church when they come to you, we have done due diligence. We have a contract. We're handling this the right way. And it'll go a long way toward dealing with problems that you have from your members who may be upset uh, about this particular issue. Let me talk just there a comment about this, about disclosure, what you disclose, how much you disclose. Uh, it's an important issue. Okay. Uh, mentor requirements. They should have a mentor. If it's a female, she needs a female mentor. If it's a male, he needs a male mentor. And so somebody that helps hold them accountable. That's important. We are ending up with a lot of people on the registry. So it's highly likely you're going to end up with somebody at your congregation that's on the registry uh, at some point. Uh, it's very possible. Contractual agreement. Uh, I want to go ahead and just... Uh, uh, don't have to read all this right now. Uh, you can listen to me for a few more minutes, and then you can read this later. But I want to pass this around. And this is, I want to go two different directions with this. You can take one. And I will be glad to send this to you in a Word document if you want to be able to edit this. And you can modify this. You can use this. And I've had other churches that have used this agreement uh, that we have. And we have very specific guidelines uh, on this. Uh, one of the contract agreements that we have is if we have a man that comes to our church that's on the registry, if he meets a woman that he wants to date, he has to tell her his charge, and we have to have verification from her that she's been told what his situation is, because she needs to be informed before she goes out and, and dates this guy. You, you got a right to tell her. I mean, a woman has the right to know if the guy she's dating at church is on the registry. Uh, so that's part of this uh, con contractual agreement. Listen, folks, if you are in a congregation and you're in leadership, and you have an offender, you, if you don't have a contract, you better get one. I'm telling you, you better get a contract. Meet with that brother or sister. Go over the contract. Make sure they understand the contract. Make sure they sign it, and you sign it, and you hold them accountable to the contract. What would happen in a church? Listen to this. What would happen in a church... If you as a leadership knew that you had a sex offender, you didn't do due diligence, and then something happened. Who are they going to look to? Leadership. Why didn't you do your job? <laughs> Why didn't you do your job? Why, yeah. You're, you're, right. So you're going to have a problem. So you need to make sure you do all of this on the front end. And we make our sex offenders that want to come there, they have to meet with us, and sign the contract before they can ever attend the first worship service. They can't even come the first time. And in Gallatin, when I did it with the church there, it took about six weeks to get all this resolved before the guy could attend church services there. Okay? And so you need to have a contract uh, that they have and then be proactive instead of reactive. What I mean by that is what I would do, this is my... If I'm going to give some words of wisdom here. If your church is involved in prison ministry, you need to start a conversation with your leadership of what are we going to do when the registered sex offender that we've worked with in the jail or prison wants to come to our congregation. Don't wait till he shows up. 
You decide it now when it's calm and people can think logically and rationally and without getting all bent out of shape. Okay? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I would have a conversation with the leadership, and I would say to my leadership, "Are you aware of this situation, and do you have a policy in place?" And if they say yes, we're aware of it, and we have a policy in place, then I think you can take comfort to know that they're doing what they're supposed to do. If they say, "I have no idea," then you need to inform them of that give them some possibilities of how to deal with this, and then hopefully trust them to do that. Okay? You need to, to do that. So be proactive instead of reactive. Yes? I have a qu um, sure. Most of what we've talked about has been more uh, uh, molesting children. Yes. What if, are there any differences in, for instance, the contract if, for instance, someone's been convicted of raping a grown yeah, my, my point is, this is, okay, there are different levels of risk, but if they're on the registry for any reason, you need a contract, okay? Even if you say, well, they just did a statutory rape, and now he's married to that woman, you still need a contract. Now, you might change the contract based upon his offense, but you still need a contract. So, for instance, if, if a man was convicted of raping a woman, right. That, that might be a good possibility there. You, you know, this is not, a, this is a contract that we created looking at different resources. You can modify the contract, fits with your leadership, what, and it may be changed based on the circumstance that you're dealing with, okay? So, but you need some kind of agreement uh, with this person to hold them accountable. Three options to consider about through, I'm almost out of time, but let me give you three options to consider. Uh, one is, attend church with restrictions and a contract. Uh, in most cases, that's what I would choose unless there are extenuating circumstances like the victims go to that same church. That would be my normal first choice, five minutes. Another option uh, is to have an adult-only service. Now, you can try that, and that might be an option. If you had no, and it wouldn't have to be just, well, now we're going to have our sex offender worship at 10 o'clock. No, uh, you know, uh, no, no, we don't go there, you know. But you could have other adults, and you could do an adult-only service, uh, you know, for that. Uh, another option would be if you cannot have them at service for whatever reason, at the very least, the minister or somebody could at least have weekly Bible studies with the guy and try to help him spiritually along. Um, I think those are, you know, some options that you have when you deal with a sex offender. The easy solution is to say, oh, we don't want to accept sex offenders, go somewhere else. That's a cop-out. That's just not a good solution to this. But and you could also uh, do that on Sunday afternoon. You could do it. Services and offer them communion like you could do that. You can do that. You can offer them communion like you do this sick and shut in. There are some things to be to think through this process if it's a, a major issue. Uh, but we need to address this person's spiritual needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In some way, in some way, we got to address that. Yes. If you're here in any, in any kind of a leadership position, do not bury your head in the sand. We had a young man uh, a couple years ago, schizophrenic, not even on the sexual, any sexual risk or anything, showed up. 
young lady went in, we go in the auditorium on Wednesday night to have a short service. <coughs> young lady went in to skip that, went on to the Bible class. She came in, in like the three-year-old class back up in the corner. Right. When confronted about why he was there, he referred to the passage that said, says, uh, alludes to children having their own angels, and he said, uh, when I'm distraught, I feel better being around children because they have their own angels. And we were like, whoa. Right, right. It's time for every congregation to have a safety plan. You need to have a plan. That's the thing. You need to have a plan. It can be managed if you've got a plan. But if you don't have a plan, you've got a problem. <laughs> and, we never had a sexual problem. Right. But we finally, the elders finally got to the point where they had asked him to leave. Right. So I close with this. Uh, of course, uh, John chapter 3, that we believe that it's most lifted up the serpent, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do we believe that a sex offender can be forgiven? Do we believe that Jesus died for them? Do we believe that they can go to heaven? Well, I hope that we do. I'm sure we do. But let's just have a plan so that we can deal with this problem. Uh, I'll be glad to, um, if any church is struggling with this, feel free to call me, okay? Uh, and I will even, well, I need to be careful what I, what I offer. Within reason! Within reason, I will come to your church and meet with your leadership to address this issue, okay? Uh, I, you know, so I, I will offer that. Thank you so much for your time and attention.